we were really been in the process of studying uh, out of Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. And, and one of the crucial pieces of that armor is down in verse 17, and that is the helmet of salvation, which literally means to, to pick up or to receive something that you wrap around your mind. And it's referring to, to how our mind thinks. Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. So that means whatever you're like tonight is a result of your thinking. So if you don't like where you are, we need to change how we think. If you're really happy with where you are, you probably need to change how you think because you're fooling yourself because none of us have arrived yet. And so we've been going through, we've looked in Romans chapter 12 because understand this, when you're born again, God takes your old spirit out and he births in you a new spirit that's born of him. So your nature, his nature is birthed into you. But there's another two parts to you. There's your soul, which is made up of your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the part of you that you're the most conscious of. That's the part of other people that you tend to be the most conscious of. And your spirit and your soul live in your body. So your body is just your earth suit that carries everything around. Now, we're so aware of that because that's the part of us that we see in each other and that's the part of, your, of, the, of you that you spend and I spend so much of our time paying attention to because it talks the loudest. It tells you when it's hungry. It tells you when it wants certain things to eat, even things that are not good for you. It tells you when it really wants things to eat. It tells, you, it tells you what it wants. It's not shy about telling you what it wants. And, and it needs to be cleaned up, dressed up, rested, exercised. It requires a lot of time and attention for something you're going to leave here. Now stop and think about that. How much time do you devote to a, a, a suit you're going to leave here? And how little time we devote to the other two parts of us that are going to go with us, that really are us. But that's the way the world operates. So Romans 12, 1 tells us what to do with one part of us. It says we're to make of our body, we're to make a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, we're to give it to Him. It belongs to Him. The Bible tells us that, that, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's not your own. It was bought with a price. That we may, means we need to look at our body as something we're stewards over, but we don't own. I mean, the whole theme of of our political culture today is I've got a right to do with my body what I don't. Well, that's because they're not saved. But once you're saved, you don't have the right to do with your body once you want. Because it belongs to the Lord. He's entrusted it to you and it's for you to take care of it. He'll give you wisdom and understanding of how to do that. Verse 2 tells us that we're not to be conformed to this world. That word I've taught you means pressured from the outside. The world can't change what's on the inside of you in terms of your nature. But it can change how much of that nature gets to the outside of you so that other people can see it and you enjoy the benefits of it. And the Bible says to not be conformed to this world. This world is a system that's pressing in on you everywhere you go. In you, at work, the news, this whole world is headed, it, it is headed in a direction that's not towards God. It's like you're in a canoe out there. And you're now in a river that's, a, where, that's you know, if, you ever, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls or a, a major river like that, as the, you get closer to the falls, it just rushes faster and faster. There's such a force there. So that's like the force of society today, rushing, and it's also rushing for a fall. And it's as if we're in canoes. But, but, but in the world, when, until you're saved, your canoe's headed towards the falls. When you're saved, you turn your canoe around. 
but it turns around where you are. Now the rest of your walk on this earth is paddling upstream. That's why it's so hard. It's that dirty word you have to say in church, work. And everything in society is pressing in on you to conform you to act like the world. And the way it does it is to conform you to think like the world. So the Apostle Paul says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transferred. Different word. That word means to take what's on the inside of you and work it to the outside. Which is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He says take the salvation you've received and work it to the outside where it will do others good as well as you. So that's what we're talking about. And then he goes on to tell us how to do it. By the renewing of your mind. And we've talked about that means just changing how you think. We went back and looked in Isaiah 55 where God talks about himself and how he thinks. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That means God has thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high my thoughts and my ways are above your thoughts and your ways. We took a peek last week at how he thinks, because we saw in Jeremiah 29:11, he says, he says, and these are the thoughts that I think towards you. Good thoughts. Thoughts of blessing and of prosperity and of a hope and an expected or good end. So God's thoughts towards you are good. They're generous. Psalm 139 says his thoughts are more numerous than the grains of the sands and all the seashores. That's what God's thoughts towards you are like. So we need to learn to think his thoughts. But then we've gone back and understood this process. So we've looked in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which talks about three basic things. It talks about thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And it approaches them backwards. He says we, 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 we're, we're, we're making war against strongholds. And I've told you that a stronghold is an image that is so ingrained in your mind that, that it affects you without ever going through a thinking process. Do you ever notice when you touch a button on your computer... Now, if you don't know what computers operate, you've literally triggered a whole series of instructions that are going fast, almost fast as the speed of light inside of that computer. Maybe thousands of instructions just because you moved that mouse and clicked it. But you don't see any of that because the movement of the mouse triggers all these things that happen automatically and you see the results on your screen. That's what a stronghold's like. It's when something happens, some stimulus, and you react and you don't know why. Because you're reacting to a, an image in your mind that's been there so long, it's controlling you and governing you. Now we talked about images, because a stronghold is made up of an image that's been there so long, it's burned in the screen. That's why you have screensavers. So because if you don't have a screensaver and you leave your, an image on your TV or on your computer screen too long, it will literally become embedded in there. Why? Because that screen is made up of a whole series of dots. And the picture you see is when a light beam goes across that and lights that up with a certain pattern of intensity and color. And so if you look closely, you'll see those little dots. Some of them are called put in a matrix. And if you look at a newspaper picture, you'll see little dots. So the pictures are made up of dots. And a picture that's there long enough becomes a stronghold. And that's the way our mind works. So what controlling you are, are images that are in your mind. Images of you. Images of what the world is like. Images of what God is like. Images of what the devil's like. Images of people and circumstances and situations. What you're capable of. What you're not capable of. All those are images that have been built over time in your mind. And they control you. They limit what God can do through you. 
And so renewing our mind is nothing more than changing those, in, those strongholds. But I've taught you, you can't tear the stronghold down. Because the more you try to do it, the more you reinforce it. Because one of the principles we learned is the more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. So the more you think about the stronghold to tear it down, the bigger it's going to get in your mind. You're feeding it. So how do we do it? We build new strongholds based on the Word of God. So the reason it's important to understand this process is because we're going to use this process to build the strongholds. Just as other people and the enemy and you've used that process to build the wrong kind of strongholds. So one of the keys is learning to identify your thoughts. We talked about because it starts at the thought level. Every thought that comes into your mind has a purpose. It's intended to be a dot in some image. So we've talked about the fact you need to identify Capture that thought. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, taking every thought captive. Every thought captive. And you say, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. But it takes time and it takes practice. But it begins by starting to capture the thoughts. The ones you're aware of. Taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And since Christ is the Word, it's measuring those thoughts against this Word. So we have talked last time about how do you determine where those thoughts have come from. And I'm not going to go back over all that. Then we began to move into the first of the techniques that we're going to learn. Most of you have heard these before. But not with the foundation that we've laid. Not with understanding the purpose of what we're doing. Because I find in my life that I understand the certain basic principles by which it's going to operate, and I have some background in it, it's much easier for me to apply a process than just because I see a process, I go try it out. I'm doing it based on what somebody else has seen, not on my own understanding. What I'm teaching you are things I've learned by having to identify strongholds in my life and begin to replace them. And I know it works because I've seen it work in my life. And it still is working because there's still something I have to do and work on. And then sometimes you slip and you get lazy. And the old ones, you know, will begin to kind of come up again because you've let the old thoughts in again. Because the enemy doesn't go away just because you've heard this material. <clears throat> you, some of you found that out. Okay. Now, the next thing we looked at is these methods we're going to look at are anointed by God. So it may have taken you 40 years to get where you are. It's not going to take you 40 years to replace it. Because we're going to be using the Word of God. First of all, the Word of God is anointed for this purpose. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. The weapons used against you were. But they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So they're mighty. They're anointed by God to do this. Secondly, we're going to take the Word of God which is what is anointed, to do that. So the thoughts we're going to use are God's word, God's thoughts. They're anointed by God for this purpose. And the other advantage is they're the truth. And the truth is always more powerful than the lie. Unless you listen to the lie long enough and make it a truth for you. We'll talk about that later. All right. So the first thing we looked at is meditation. And we were still in the process of meditation. And I talked to you about what it is. It's not just to think about something. It's to literally, the word literally means to mutter, M-U-T-T-E-R. It's to run it around in your mind and kind of talk to yourself about it. We'll get into talking, but it's to kind of talking to yourself about it. You ever, ever, I won't ask you if you've ever done it, but you ever been around somebody that's talking to themselves? I was, I was driving down the, uh, 114 a couple of weeks ago in, into Bristol, and there was a guy standing in the street, and he was having this great conversation. 
But he was alone, at least as far as I could see. If there was somebody else there, he was not a natural being. And he was having this great conversation. Now, I kind of assumed that maybe all the marbles weren't where they needed to be. Or, you know, he wasn't exactly in his right mind. But he was having this great conversation. That's not what I'm talking about. It's where you just roll the Word of God, you roll the thoughts around in your mind, and you keep going over them and 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 over them. And that's to mull it over in your mind, to, to dwell on it and let your mind think about it over and over and over again. And, and, and you know you're doing it when you kind of get lost in it. I used to do that in school when I was younger. It was called daydreaming, and I got in trouble for that. But that was meditating. It may have been on, you know, what I was going to do when I got home. Some of you do it in here. Sunday mornings you meditate on where we're going to go eat when he quits talking. <laughs> so, so it, and, and what this is, is taking a word, each of these processes, what they really are, is choosing thoughts because they're going to create the image that we want. So we choose the thought and we begin to plant those in our mind and down in our hearts with the intention of making them part of a new image that's going to become a new stronghold. That's what we're intentionally doing. It's important to keep that in mind. And so, uh, now, then I also taught you last week, you all know how to do this. In fact, some of you are experts at it. It's called worry. If you can worry, you can meditate, because worry is meditating it's just meditating on the lies of the devil. That's all it is. So if you can worry, you're already skilled at this. It's just that that's very easy to do because that's the direction that the river's flowing. So everything around you is cooperating with it, feeding it, especially some of your dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, did you hear what happened to so? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. And you get around and together you meditate on it. Get an agreement about it. Start confessing it. Because it's second nature in the world because we haven't renewed our mind to what this Word says. But once you've begun to renew your mind to this Word, what you'll find is you'll begin to hear things and you'll react to them. Say, oh, no, no, no. I don't want that. I don't want that thought. I don't want that thought. We've, we've trained our minds. So if certain things come on TV, I don't want to watch them. I'll just turn them off. I don't want to watch it. Could I handle it? Probably. I just don't want it. I don't want the thoughts. I don't want the images. I don't want the suggestion. And I'm not talking about bad pictures, just a situation that's ungodly. I'll just turn it off like that. I don't want that, that, that thought in my mind. I just don't want it in my mind. There's no business in my mind because I don't want anything that that image could possibly create. So I've trained my mind to do it. Am I perfect that? No, but I've trained my mind. Now, it says in, in Hebrews chapter 6 that you can develop yourself to the point that you can train your mind to discern the difference between good and evil. You can train your senses to tell the difference between good and evil. But that takes a mature Christian to learn how to do that. So, all right. Okay. Now, so if you can worry, you can meditate. The other good news is you can take all that experience you have in worrying 
and now we're going to turn that and use it to learn how to... All you've got to do is substitute what you're worrying about. That's all. You just have to worry about God's Word. That sounds funny to you, but that's really what worry is. It's meditating on something. It's, and I'll show you how that is. In fact, the principles I'm about to teach you came from looking at how I worried about things. Another thing we talked about is not just reading the same verse over and over again. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it's something you do on purpose. All right. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you some steps. These are kind of like a checklist. You don't have to do them in this order. But the, the whole idea of this exercise is that when you do it, you'll be meditating. So if you get up tomorrow and you decide, you know, I really need to spend some time meditating and you don't know what else to do, you'll pull these things out and you'll do them. Now, just so that I've helped you, I have had run off what the six things are. So we're going to put them on the screen in a minute, but, but you will find this, a piece of paper like this at, a, at the corner of each one of the information booths when you leave. So I would suggest you take this and just stick it in your, in your Bible. And then when you want to meditate, if you do any one of these, you'll be meditating, and I'll show you how. Okay, can you put that screen up, that first part of the screen? Okay, the first thing is, to, now before we get into them, so don't look there just yet, look at me. This is the checklist. It's not a formula. A formula you have to go through in order. It's a checklist. And I'm not a pilot. I mean, we have some people in here that have flown in, in, in the service and things like that. So they could be much better skilled than, than I am to do this. But I noticed one of the last times we flew, we were waiting because the plane was, uh, we were changing planes at an airport. So we're sitting there waiting to get on the second plane. And I saw the crew arrive, the pilot and the, and the, and the first officer arrive. And, and he went, they went in the, the, the cockpit and he came out and it was the first officers. He's walking around with a list looking at things. Now, I don't know how many times he's flown that plane. He may have just flown it in. But he has a checklist he goes through. That, that right, Link? That's a checklist you go through. He could have built the plane. But the checklist is because they know they're human. And you don't want to get up there and have what's called an oops. <laughs> Sir, I, I had a senior moment. <laughs> I forgot to check whether they put fuel in. <laughs> See, at 30,000 feet is not the place to remember something that you know you know you know you need to do. You just ever know you need to do something and just forgot to do it? You ever, I won't, won't ask for a show of hands, but you ever, ever get to work and says, did I put the order on? <laughs> I won't ask for a show of hands. It's something you know you need to do. Hopefully, it wasn't because somebody came and asked you the question. <laughs> but it's a simple, practical thing you know you need to do and you want to do, but sometimes just because you get busy doing things, other things, and you just kind of forget or don't even remember where you, whether you did it or not. And so a checklist is valuable so that you don't rely on your memory. So it doesn't mean you've got to go through it in the same order, although the pilots may do that. But this is a way, if you do these things, or some of these things, you will be meditating. So the first one is to make sure you know exactly, what about a scripture? Make sure you know exactly what it says. Exactly what it says. So, that means that, that because understand this. Have you ever misread something? 
You ever misread something? You know, as a lawyer, there are certain words that can be very important in a contract. Little words like not. That completely reverses the meaning of something, doesn't it? Well, let's just apply that to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. There are some people I know that overlooked that three-letter word. Thou shalt not steal. See, the word not changes the whole meaning of it. So if you read through something quickly, you can miss it. Let me take a look at something here. I'll give you an example. If you don't understand what it means, you'll mi- what it's saying. Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. By the way, <laughs> the apostle Peter wrote in Second Peter at the end of his second epistle referring to something Paul wrote. He says, you know, he wrote things that are hard to understand. (laughs) That gave me hope. Verse 7. Very famous section of passage. In fact, it has a title in my Bible called The Thorn in the Flesh. Now, I remember when I first got saved and began to read about certain doctrines and discovered that there were people that teach it was God's will to heal everybody. Well, that got me excited until I got a hold of some people that threw cold water on that. And one of the scriptures they would use, well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? I said, what do you mean about that? Well, Paul had a physical infirmity. Paul had a sickness. He had eye disease. Of course, that's reading things into things that aren't said. He had an eye disease. I said, where did you get that? He said, well, he had a thorn in the flesh, a physical infirmity, and he asked God to remove it, and God said no. In fact, there are notes in my Bible that say that. But let's read this for what it actually says. Not what we think it says, not what somebody tells you it says, but let's read it for what it says. Verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now stop there a second. Let's talk about what that doesn't say. That doesn't say sickness. Have you ever heard the expression, that person's just a pain in the back? I don't know what you were thinking. But they weren't literally going around sticking you wherever. That's an expression that we all know what it means. But it doesn't mean take it literally. Especially when you read the next part of it. A messenger of who? A messenger of who? Satan. He tells us what it is. It's a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. That word buffet means to push up against. It doesn't say he was made sick. But people have read that in there. So my point is, first of all, make sure you know exactly what it says. Forget interpreting it. That's the first rule of biblical interpretation. Start with it meaning what it says. 
lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning these things, I pled with the Lord three times that it might depart with me. And he said to me, no. Isn't that what it says? That's what I've been taught. Not where I went to Bible school. But I've heard teachers teach that. And God said, no, no. He said, my grace is, my grace is, my grace is not insufficient. That's not no. My grace is sufficient for you. So here's a case where people have read these scriptures through, through, a, through a prism, through, an, through a viewpoint. And they've interpreted what it says through, to make it fit with their point of view. That's not how we're to read the Bible. It says, it means what it says. Especially if you go on and read the rest of what he says. Therefore, most gladly will I boast in my infirmities. If you look that word up, it doesn't mean sickness and disease. It means inability to produce results yourself by your own strength. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Does that sound like defeat? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. He says, I've learned a lesson here. Not to trust in my own strength. He's talking about the persecutions that he went through. That's the buffeting he went through. The other thing that's interesting to look at, I didn't really plan to go at it, but if you go back to the beginning of chapter 11, he says, oh, that I, this is why you don't just read a few scriptures. Oh, that I would bear, you would bear with me in a little folly. Indeed, you do bear with me. Paul is correcting this church. They've accused him of being proud and arrogant and boastful and bold. And he's correcting them with sarcasm. Look at verse 17 of chapter 11. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. That's what you think I boast. Here's how I'm going to boast. So you've got to read the whole thing. My point is, here, this first thing is, make sure you know what it says. So go back and ask yourself the question when you're reading the verse, what does it say? And one of the best ways to do this is repeat it to yourself in other words, different words, and then go back and see if those words line up with what he says. Now guess what? While you're doing this, guess what you're doing? You're meditating. See, if I told you, just go home and meditate, you're going to go... I think I need some tea. <laughs> you notice how when you don't know what to do, your mind's on everything else? When it's not meaning something to you? So they, these are kind of like training wheels. Except they're not just training wheels. You need to leave them on the whole time. But it's to help us get started. All right, let's look at the second one. This is, they're all similarly related. The second thing says to, to, to think about whether it makes sense. Well, I, don't, I don't mean that by argue with it. I don't think that's right. But look at the scriptures or the scriptures together and understand, does this make sense? Does this fit in with the rest of what I know of the Bible? See, that's one way to look at this. Wait a minute. That can't fit in. That can't fit in. It doesn't fit in with other things Paul says. Paul's not defeated. When you read Paul's life, when you read the book of Acts, when you read Paul's writing, you don't see somebody who's beaten up all the time, somebody who's 
ready to quit, somebody who's complaining about it that goes a lot in life. You see a man who's victorious. Overcome things? Oh, yes. So you're looking at the verse and saying, all right, do what I get out of that? Does that make sense with what I know of God? Does that make sense with what I know of this author? Does that make sense with what, what I know of the Bible? And guess what? While you're thinking about that, guess what you're doing? You're meditating. Because understand this. There's a purpose behind these, especially these two. If your mind doesn't understand something, it won't get in. If your mind doesn't agree with something, it won't get in. I'm reading a book right now that's full of all kinds of encouraging things, but it confronts a stronghold in my life. That's why I'm reading it. And every time I read this thing, I know it's in the Scriptures, but I read this, I can feel a wall in my mind. It's like, I know there's truth in it, but I can feel it's not getting in. Have you ever felt that? You read something, it's just not getting in. Why? Because it doesn't, your mind is a filter. And when the filter's open, things can get in. But when the filter's closed, it nothing, it doesn't get in. So if your mind looks at this and it's telling you something that you don't believe is true, it's not going to get in. It's just going to get, it'll bounce off. So it will never get sown because we're sowing it into your heart. We're sowing it into our heart. So you need to find out if this, do, if this makes sense to you. Okay. Third thing. Look at it from different points of view. Look at it from different points of view. Here's a simple way to do that. Emphasize different words and see how it changes the meaning. I did this once in a, in, in a, a church that, that this church had taken on to help. Uh, down in Portsmouth about, oh my goodness, 15, 16 years ago. Pastor Sam asked us to go down and pastor it for a while. So one of the first things I did was I taught on the 23rd Psalm. But I just spent, I don't know how long in, the Gilliams were there and uh, the Boscos were there. and I spent, I don't know how long I spent on the verse 1. So you all know verse 1 of the the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I want to give you an example of what I mean by this. So you go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's just start at that point. So what you do is you say, the Lord is my shepherd. And think about, what does it mean that he's the Lord? Well, let me think about that a minute. The Lord means there's no other. So the fact that the Lord is my shepherd is much more comforting than a Lord is my shepherd. So he's the Lord. And see, little words, I test that in school of ministry, little words in the Bible are so important. In the course on, on Lud Covenant, we've learned that the word of, O oh of, is such a powerful word. Because God refers Himself to the God of Abraham. The word of means belongs to. So that little possessive pronoun means God belongs to us. There's something to think about. God's, he, you didn't capture Him He willingly chose to belong to you, to be your God. That's a possessive pronoun. He's not your God to everybody. He's the creator to everybody, but He's your God. He's your Father. Just meditate on what that means for a little while. 
So the Lord. I love the little words because we skip over them so easily. But they're so powerful. Every word in this book is, is anointed by God. The Lord is my shepherd. Wow. The Lord is my shepherd. So the one's my shepherd is Lord. What does that mean? He's supreme boss. So the one that's watching over me, providing for me, protecting me, is it. Numero uno. He's Lord. He can do what He wants and He'll do it on my behalf because He's my shepherd. The Lord is. Not will be. Not was. Is is today. He, was, he is yesterday and He is today and He is forever. He is. That means right well, right where I am. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I know He's yours. That's great. But He's my shepherd. About a year ago, I woke up and I was, I've been meditating and praying about how to, to learn God, how to be a shepherd to your people, how to be a shepherd. And, it got, you know, there's times it can feel overwhelming at times. I woke up one morning and I heard God speak to me so clearly. He says, just as you're their shepherd, I'm your shepherd. That was a comforting thought. Now, I know he's your shepherd too, but, it just, but in shepherding you, he's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I love you and I'm glad he's your shepherd. But he's my shepherd. The Lord is my He is my shepherd. Boy, that one will take you a while. There's a book in the bookstore about a shepherd's look at the 23rd Psalm. It's an old book. It's been at it for years. It goes through what a shepherd understands that we don't understand in that word. The Lord is my shepherd. I. I. It's great for all of you, but I shall not want. I shall not. I shall not want. And on and on and on. And guess what? What have we been doing? Meditating on the Word. So as you go through these exercises, they're just exercises to help you meditate. If you just do it, you'll be meditating. Okay, number four. There's lots of techniques out that's used in business and in other, other, other disciplines. Visualize it, but it comes from God. Visualize it. That means to imagine what it means to you if it were really true. Oh, I know we all know the Bible's true. But do we? Has it really dawned on you that God loves you? That God loves you. Has it really dawned on you that He is for you? Romans 8.31 If God's for you, who can be against you? Has it really dawned on you that Jesus died for you? Not really. I mean, to a degree it has. But when it really hits you, when it really hits you, and we come in to sing about the Lord and worship Him, I mean, we'd have to pull us all off the wall and the ceiling because it becomes so real to us what He's done for us. So what you do is you take a scripture, whatever it is that you're renewing your mind to, and as you meditate on it, you say, all right, what would it be like if this really were true in my life. If the Lord really is my shepherd, 
I'm not going to worry about what anybody thinks. That's what Romans 8.31 was. If, if God is for you, who can possibly be against you? What would that be like if that really were true? How, how, would, that, what would, the, how would that translate into your life? At work. Are there people at work that threaten you? If you work here, don't look at me. <laughs> are, are there people in your family that threaten you? That you just not, can't really speak your mind to? Are there situations in your life that threaten you? Imagine what it would be like if nothing could threaten you. Imagine what it would be like if fear couldn't touch you. That's the greatest crippler of the church is fear. Well, Paul wrote to Timothy who was dealing with fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. There's one to meditate on. But of power and of love and a sound mind. Not dementia. Not Alzheimer's, or as Pastor Ray says, sometimers. <laughs> God's given us, not given us a spirit of fear. What if that were really true? See, what you're doing is you're taking what the Bible says is true and you're imagining what that would look, picturing what that would look like in your life. Professional athletes use that technique. I was watching a golf lesson once. didn't do me any good, but I watched the lesson. And I watched this teaching pro say, he said, I'm sure the other pros do this, that, that if, if they hit a bad shot, they will not go on and hit the next shot until they've replayed that bad shot in their mind and made it a good shot in their mind. In other words, they're not going to address that ball after, with that memory, the last thought being a bad shot. So they will visualize it. You get people that play golf much more than I do, but you ever notice if you watched it, they don't just stand up there like this and swing at the ball. They stand back there like this. And they look down the course. What they're doing is visualizing where the ball is going to go. They're getting a mental picture of where the ball is going to go. So because they've learned that there's a connection between the vision that you have and what your body carries out. That's a professional golfer whose goal in life is to take a dimpled white sphere and take as few shots as necessary to get it into a little cup. Now, I enjoy golf, so I'm not putting... I'm just saying in the scope of life, but they've learned to use that principle. The Bible talks in terms of vision. The Spirit of God is a visionary. He will give you vision for things talks about visions and dreams in the last day. But that's what it is. It's, it's picturing in you, inside of you, in your mind, what that would really mean if it were true. Because it is true, if it's God's Word. Okay. Visualize it. Now the next thing is, a little, is very much related to it. It's called project it. So visualizing it is what it would be like now. Projecting it is what it would mean in the future. I'll give you a negative example. I told you the story, was it last week or so, of the time I got a, had a physical, and I come home on a Friday evening and play the messages, and there's a call from my doctor, 
like 5.30 on Friday, of course their office is closed, saying, please call us first thing Monday morning. That's all they said. See, that goes back to the, that's exactly what they said. But my mind was projecting. And by Saturday morning, I had a picture of me in the hospital with tubes coming out of me, you know, in the family gathering. Not quite that extreme, but my mind was capable before of running quickly and painting future pictures. And that's how I learned this. I didn't study this anywhere else. I really, wait a minute. If that's what's got me so fearful by Monday morning, why don't I take that same principle and take God's word and instead build faithful pictures? So the difference between these two is projecting it, is looking, what's this going to be in the future? Visualizing is what it would mean to me now. Guess what? While you're doing that, guess what you're doing? You're meditating. So it doesn't matter which one of these you're doing because you're mulling it over. You're thinking about it. You're, you're extending it. You're working with it. You're, you're, you're not just reading it. But you're, you're, you're digging it down inside of you. These are all part of what we do when we worry. The next time you catch yourself worrying, pull this out and look at what you were doing. Okay, you can turn the slide off. You can again find this, this back there. So it's more than just running words around in your mind. It's going through this exercise. Let me, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, turn with me. I don't need to turn there, but I want you to turn to Mark chapter 11. This is one of the ones I've been doing lately. Mark chapter 11. I want to show you some things I saw that I didn't realize were in here just by doing this. Now, before we read that, I want to make another couple of points. And then then I'm going to use this. The goal of meditating is to go beyond the words. If you just read them, they're just words on a page to you. They may be beautiful words. They may be encouraging words, but they're still on the page. And they're, they're words in your mind. The goal is to go beyond the words and create a picture in your mind that has meaning to you. And you'll know you're getting there when it begins to stir you. Ever read a book or a story and you got emotionally involved in it? Rarely does that happen to me, but I, but I, I like sometimes just for exercise and to expand my, my reading ability, I'll take an old classic and read it. And, and, and I, that it challenges my reading. Well, I read one this summer that I got so into it, I, I, I was upset when it ended. It was like I was, I was going to lose an old friend. I, I don't remember ever getting involved in something like that. I really got into it. So that's what I'm talking about. It begins to move you and affect you emotionally. That's the goal because that's what worry does. It affects you emotionally. Like a dream affects you emotionally. Okay. Um, now, our model for that we've looked at is Joshua 1.8, which says that you meditate on the word day and night. In other words, whatever, the best thing is whenever you find your mind having free time, that's a good time to do this. Another thing is don't let your mind freewheel. You know what that is? It's just running around. You know, you're riding in the car and you don't, you don't have to be doing anything specific other than watching where you're going. 
And, and, you know, and you find your mind's running all over the place. It's going back to what happened yesterday. It's going to what you've got to do tomorrow. That's freewheeling. You're not controlling what it's meditating on. That's a great time to have a scripture you've already decided to meditate on. Now, here's a good technique for that. This is what I would do in school of ministry. Take an index card. You know these little index cards? And pick one scripture. Find a scripture that supports what image you want to build into your mind. Whatever it's about. Whether it's God loves you. If that's an area where you're struggling. Find one of the scriptures that talks about where God loves you. And write it out on the card so you can read it. And carry that around with you if you, if you have a pocket like this in your pocket or in your purse. And whenever you think about it, pull it out and go over it. Now, not when you're driving. But you can go over it in your mind. If you think of it, just touch the card. That's one of the techniques I would teach them. To begin to get conscious of your thoughts. If you're having trouble remembering doing that, every time you think of the card, just touch it. Because that's reminding you of the technique. And then as you've developed that, then begin to use the card. And then it's a reminder to you to go over that scripture because it will take practice to begin to learn to do that. Okay. A good time to do it intentionally is part of your prayer life. When you get up in the morning, that's what I'll do. I'll do it in the shower because there's nothing else I've got to do in there. So I'll just I'll take certain scriptures and I'll, I'll go over them out loud to myself and meditate on them. while I'm, that's, Maybe that's why I don't remember whether to put the deodorant on or not. <laughs> And, and, and go over the scriptures. It's when you're doing something you don't need to think a lot about. Obviously, driving you need to think about. At work you need to think about. But you'll find there's a lot of time during your day that's just wasted with your mind. Just wasted with your mind. Okay. And when you do it, you want to get all three parts of you involved. Your mind is focused on what you're saying. Okay. Now, here's an example. Mark 11. Then we're going to we'll close. And I won't spend all the time I've been doing this. Let's start in verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Assuredly, or verily, I say unto you. So I stopped right there one time going through Wait a minute, who's, who's I? It's Jesus. Jesus said, I say unto you. This isn't Peter or Paul or Thomas. I know it's all the word of God, but it's Jesus saying this. Jesus said, Verily, verily, which means truly, truly assuredly. Now, Jesus couldn't lie. So if he's got to say assuredly, he's trying to make a special point here. Because you see, what he's about to tell us is foreign to our thinking. It's foreign to our thinking unless you were raised on this that you can speak to something and it's going to change. I remember when I first heard that taught, I just laughed at it. How ridiculous can you be that you could speak to something and it's going to change? But that's what he says. So the problem is, my mind was trained and raised through my childhood and my education. You don't do that. They didn't teach us that in physics. They didn't teach us one of the principles of physics is you speak to something and tell it to move out of your way. They laugh at that. But as I went over this and over this and over this, I said, wait a minute, this is Jesus saying this. It's coming out of his mouth. And if that's coming out of his mouth, there are other things that have come out of his mouth. I do believe you must be born again. This is my commandment that you love one another. I don't have any problem believing he meant that. He says at the end, he says, he says go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
I don't have any trouble believing he meant that. But it's the same mouth that says, If you say unto this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea. Then I remembered as I'm going over, the scriptures are coming to me. As I'm going, he was anointed to do this. As I'm going over, scriptures are coming to me. Where it says in James, you can't have sweet water and bitter water come out of the same fountain. Talking about our mouth. It says you can't have both blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. So Jesus can't say one thing that's true and another thing that's not. Suddenly these words have a credibility to me that's now coming to the level of if you, you must be born again. But I didn't see any of that when I just read it. And then as I'm doing that, I'm, the Spirit of God's working with me. And He's telling me, the problem you have is this doesn't fit in with what you were trained as you were raised and what you're trained in, you're raised, is the world's way of thinking about how things happen. And then he took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which says, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. God's chosen the foolish things, like speaking to things, to confound the wise. Why? Because my hang-up was always... Yeah, but all the educated people I saw, I went to a school, a private school, that was very, had some very wealthy, very sophisticated, I mean, people that are running major companies today. So that's what I was raised around. My stepfather was a brilliant lawyer. I was raised around all this. Education, rational thinking is everything. Well, this isn't rational. So I was having trouble getting in until that scripture came to me. And I, but it happened while I'm meditating. It wasn't going to look for the scripture. While I'm meditating on this, the Spirit of God, see, remember, it's mighty through God for the pulling down. The Spirit of God comes around up within me and starts giving me ammunition. And starts bringing other scriptures to me. It says, God doesn't do things the way the physicists do it. God didn't go to MIT. Not that there's anything wrong with MIT. I got a brother that went there. God's, God's not learning things on that way. God's, how does God do things? He speaks to them. Oh, well, then God does things by speaking to them. And then I was reminded how Jesus spoke to things. Not only did He speak to things, He told them to speak to things. And while that's happening, some of these strongholds are beginning to weaken in my mind. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. You've got to go back and do it again the next day. Go back and do it the next day. And I, I took, a, I took a, a few days off and I began those strongholds were kind of coming through again a little bit. Because it takes a while to do this. But I experienced something I've never had before. I saw them beginning to crack. I saw the foundations of things that have been in my mind for years begin to get weak and waver and get softened. The anointing of the Spirit of God because I was meditating on that word. So if you do it, if you do it, and do it out loud when you can. Not when you're in crowds, but do it out loud when you can. Watch what Jesus, watch what the Spirit of God will do. Next week, we're going to get into the next one, which is confession. But you're going to learn some things about confession you may never have heard before. Because most of us hear confession and we have a particular idea of what that means. I'm going to teach you what the Bible says about confession and what a powerful, powerful and necessary tool it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the power of the tools that you've given to us tonight, Father. Help us to learn to do them, Father.
to remember to do them. Thank you that you put the teacher inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the teacher to lead us into all truth. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit to take these principles that we are learning and begin to apply them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. But if we call upon him to be our personal Savior and take our life, excuse me, and put it into his hands to be our Lord, that he will be there with us on that day as our advocate. And we will not stand before God alone. We'll stand there with Jesus as our advocate. In fact, it actually says you'll stand there in him. So when God sees you, he won't seize your failures and your sins. and your, 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 He won't see what you see. He'll see Jesus instead of you. It's your choice tonight how you're going to stand before Him. You do not have a choice of whether you'll stand before Him. But the choice you have is how you stand before Him. You'll either stand alone or you'll stand there in Christ. I can't imagine what that's going to be like to stand there before Almighty God in all His holiness and majesty and glory and power knowing that it is He is the judge that determines whether I spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. I don't want to stand before Him that day on my own. And that's why 30 some years ago I got on my knees in my living room and I called out for Christ to come into my life and He did. I have confidence tonight not because I've been so good but I have confidence tonight that in Christ I can stand before Him in His righteousness and His holiness. Where are you tonight? Where are you with God tonight? If your life were required of you tonight and you had to stand before Him tonight, how prepared are you? Something to think about. Here's what I want to do. 